Does this study really say you can't be fat and fit? This is the Weight in Healthcare newsletter. If you appreciate the content here, please consider supporting the newsletter by subscribing and or sharing. This study came out almost two years ago, but it came up in a talk I gave this week, so I thought I'd post about it. CNN ran a headline that said, Fat but fit is a myth when it comes to heart health, new study shows. The study is Joint Association of Physical Activity and Body Mass Index with Cardiovascular Risk, a nationwide population-based cross-sectional study. In the CNN article, Alejandro Lucia, who is a professor of exercise physiology and the lead author of the study, was quoted as saying, one cannot be fat but healthy. This is the first nationwide analysis to show that being regularly active is not likely to eliminate the detrimental health effect of excess body fat, unquote. Except that's not remotely what his study showed, and not just because it was in no way designed to draw that kind of conclusion. Let's start with what the study actually did. It looked at self-reported activity data from 527,662 adults from Spain. They grouped the subjects based on BMI, and we already know that BMI reflects a lack of scientific rigor, but we'll move past that for now. Then they classified the activity level into three groups. No activity was considered inactive. Less than 150 minutes of moderate or 75 minutes of vigorous activity per week was labeled insufficiently active. And since words matter, I would suggest that this label is unnecessarily judgmental and ableist. And finally, 150 minutes of moderate or 75 minutes of vigorous activity per week or more was labeled regularly active. The study's goal was to look at the impact of exercise on risk factors for cardiovascular issues, including diabetes, high blood pressure, and high cholesterol. Note that they didn't look at actual cardiac incidents like heart attacks or strokes. They just looked at factors that may raise the risk for such incidents. So what did they find? Well, to quote their own paper, in summary, increasing physical activity levels appears to provide benefits in an overall dose-response manner, regularly active, greater than insufficiently active, greater than inactive, for the risk of hypertension or diabetes across BMI categories and should be a priority of health policies. Wait, what? You heard that correctly. What they found was that activity provided health benefits to people of all sizes. This is consistent with the findings of Gazer and Angadi, Way et al., Matheson et al., and Barry et al., which found Quote, therefore, fit individuals who are, quote, overweight or, quote, obese are not automatically at a higher risk for all-cause mortality, unquote. And as always, a reminder that health is an amorphous concept, is not an obligation, barometer of worthiness, or entirely within our control, and that goes for fitness by any definition as well. So why is this study claiming that you can't be fit and fat? Well, because they found that fatter people's risk factors were not mitigated to an equal level within people's risk factors. Their unsolicited recommendation, quote, weight loss per se should remain a primary target for health policies aimed at reducing CVD risk in people with, quote, overweight and, quote, obesity. With a reminder that, again, the terms overweight and obese were literally invented to medicalize and pathologize fat bodies, and that person-first language for fat people is a terrible idea, and also, excuse me while I bang my head on the desk for a couple of minutes. Okay, anyway, so this is where we see perhaps the most common mistake that is made in this type of research. They assume that if fat people have higher risk, then it must be due to their body size, and then making fat people look like thin people is the solution. This is the kind of mistake that would get you failed in freshman research methods class, but it consistently makes it past peer review in articles around weight and health. In order to avoid making a correlation versus causation error, one of the most basic concepts in research methods, we have to, at the very least, ask ourselves if there are other things that could cause these differences in outcomes for fat people. And as it turns out, there are. 
Peter Munich's research found that the stress of constant weight stigma is associated with the same risk factors, and Bacon and Aframore found that weight cycling, aka yo-yo dieting, which is by far the most common outcome of weight loss attempts, is also associated with those risk factors. That means that when the study authors, whose language, especially in their intro paragraph, suggests that they are coming from a deeply fatphobic place, claim that exercise can't fully mitigate the risk of being fat, what they very well could have found is that exercise can't fully mitigate the risk of being constantly stigmatized and or encouraged to diet repeatedly. That makes their recommendation that, quote, weight loss per se should remain a primary target for health policies, unquote, even worse than it originally seemed. And it originally seemed pretty bad because, first of all, they did not in any way study whether or not weight loss, one, is achievable, or two, lowers risk factors for cardiovascular incidence. So they have no basis in their research on which to make that claim and no basis in other research either. It's important to understand that these are, in fact, two different things. So in order to recommend weight loss as a health intervention, you would need, first, research that shows that weight loss is likely to be, to be achievable and maintainable long-term. If not, then there's no point in making it a recommendation. Regardless, it's like recommending levitation to solve knee pain. It might take the pressure off the joint, but since it's not likely to work, it's not an ethical evidence-based intervention. And two, you would need research that shows that weight loss has positive health impacts, including when measured against any risk associated with weight loss attempts. Let's start with number one. They don't have that. What we know from other research is that by far the most common outcome of intentional weight loss attempts, about 95% of the time, is short-term weight loss followed by long-term weight regain, with up to two-thirds of people gaining back more than they lost. So they are using the platform of this research to recommend something that has the opposite of the intended effect the majority of the time. Not a good look. On to number two. They don't have that. There is no study that compares those who have maintained weight loss to those who are fat to see if there are health outcome differences. Their recommendation is based on the assumption that if you make fat people look like thin people, they will have the same health outcomes, which ignores the possible impacts of weight stigma and weight cycling, and is roughly like saying that since this male pattern baldness is correlated with a higher risk of cardiovascular incidence, the solution is to figure out how to get all those bald folks to grow hair. So does that study really mean you can't be fit and fat? No, it doesn't. That study means that, yet again, research that would have earned me a well-deserved F in freshman research methods class is instead getting CNN headlines, because when it comes to weight and health, any fatphobic nonsense will do. Did you find this newsletter helpful? You can subscribe for free to get future newsletters delivered direct to your inbox, or choose a paid subscription to support the newsletter and get special benefits. Go to weightandhealthcare.com and click subscribe.